Welcome back to American Billiard Radio. Today is Thursday, April 4th. For this episode, we have a conversation with the new owner of Hard Times Billiards in Sacramento, California, Oscar Dominguez. Oscar says that as of April 15th, he'll be taking over ownership of the room. I do want to send a thank you out to, I hope I don't butcher this, Michael Rangel Salmon. Uh, Mike sent me a, a note suggesting Oscar for an interview, and Oscar was, of course, very willing to sit down and donate some time to us. Before we get to Oscar, though, we've got some results. We've got some champions. Uh, David Alcady won his second World Pool Masters title. It seemed like everybody was watching the stream on Facebook, and I do, I did see a story today that Matchroom put out that talked about the kind of numbers they saw for streaming of the event. They, they had quite an audience. The finals were crazy. David's opponent, Alex Kazakis, 5-0 lead, 8-5 lead, race to 9. Alcady fought back to 8-8, and Kazakis had the match in hand, failed to get shape from the 8 to the 9. I mean, for the couple people left on the planet who haven't seen it, Alcady came with an amazing shot, not really like he had any alternative. He, he kind of had to come with the shot that he did. But you got to feel for Kazakis. Had a great tournament. He's been so close in, in a couple different events recently. And, of course, with his talent, we know that he's not going to continue to be on the doorstep for long. He's he's going to get back to his winning ways. It It wouldn't be American Billiard Radio, though, if I didn't speak out on something that I feel strongly about. And, hey, it's my show, so I can. One of the players in the 24-player field at the World Pool Masters was Earl Strickland. Now, I've talked about Earl before, and my feeling is that Earl is like that... I hesitate to say crazy uncle in the family, because Earl's not crazy. Earl is outspoken, he's opinionated, and, you know, we all have that member of the family who people say, well, you know, he he says what he feels, and he comes right out, and you know exactly where he's coming from, he doesn't keep anything hidden. Well, that's Earl. Look, Earl's a great player. He's he's a champion. He He's Earl. I mean, the only other player that, that you can say something like that about is Efren, you know, you don't have to describe him any better as than, than just saying he's Efren. So Earl is Earl. All of his titles, everything. He's not going to win the World Pool Masters. I'm sorry. The, the kind of talent they have out there, he's not going to win it. So it seems to me that when he's invited to that tournament, he's not being invited because he's a threat to win the tournament. He's being invited because he's going to give you a soundbite. He's going to say controversial things. Can we give that a rest? The guy is a multi-time world champion, multi-time U.S. Open champion. Sure, he's opinionated. But come on. We don't need this. We're trying to make the game better. This does not make the game better. I don't believe that there is anyone who is not a pool fan who is going to read the comments he made or see the comments he made on video and think, wow, that's amazing. I've got to go watch pool right now. It's not going to happen. So 
what are we accomplishing by poking fun when we set him up for it? I mean, if you set somebody up to make comments, you're not accomplishing anything by making fun of him when he does. So I, I would just like to see, and, and again, this is my personal opinion and nothing to take away from the event. The event was great. I've been to event after event that Matchroom puts on, and no one produces a tournament like they do. They are absolutely the top tournament promoters out there, and they do more for professional pool than quite a few. You could go so far as to say they do more for professional pool than any other company in the game. So I know it sounds like a bash on them, but I I just... I just don't see what we're accomplishing by continuing to bash Earl. So, all right, I'll get off my soapbox. Another big tournament that took place over the weekend was the Super Billiards Expo. That was a Roy's Basement showcase. Two of the players that play for Roy's Basement, that's Ariel Francisco, uh, James Aranis won the Diamond 10 Ball Pro Players Championship, and Christina Tkach won the Women's 9 Ball Pro Players Championship. Christina played Karen Kaur in the finals, which is no big surprise. It was also great to see Sarah Rousey in the field. Sarah finished in third. I'd love to see Sarah get back into the game. It's, it's not... As we will talk about with Oscar, we're not at a point in the game right now where it makes financial sense for a player who has stepped away from the game to come rushing back into it. But again, hopefully that will change. Uh, As usual at the Super Billiards Expo, there were a number of other events. Uh, Jonathan Pinnegar won the Pro-Am Barbox Championship. Uh, Phil Davis won the Amateur Open. Bobby Connor won the Open Seniors event for players 50 and above. 50 and above is Open Seniors. Oh my God, that means I could play on that. Ed Matashonik, I hope I got that right, won the Super Seniors Division, which is 65 and over. No, I can't play in that one just yet. Rachel Lang defeated Michelle Zhang in the Amateur Ladies event. And the 12 and under juniors, Peter Jakubzak, I'm positive I got that wrong, defeated Kyle Yi in the finals. And in the 14 and under, Nathan Childress defeated Ivo Lincoln in the finals. Uh, Other big news, which I guess you can say it's big news. I kind of think it's in the category of, meanwhile, water is wet. They announced that Shane Van Boning and Skylar Woodward, as well as as Coach Johan, will be back for the Moscone Cup. As if anyone questioned that Shane and Skylar and Johan would be back for the Moscone Cup. But it's official out there now, so we know two of the five players. One of those five players is probably not going to be my guest from this show, not because of any lack of talent, but just because of of him having other priorities. I give you the new owner of Hard Times Billiards, Oscar Dominguez. Very proud to be joined all the way from California, Oscar Dominguez. Oscar, how you doing? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you? I'm good. You had a you had a good trip to Super Billiards Expo. Yeah, I did. Pretty good one. Uh, almost a perfect trip, but not quite. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I, I I do have to ask. You've ran quite a few tournaments in your life, and you've 
participated in quite a few tournaments in your life. Is that the strangest mm-hmm. tournament format you've ever seen? Um, I've seen more unique situations, but for a pro event, this is probably the most unique. Um, not redrawing in the final 16 in some form punishes the people on the winner's side, um, in my opinion. But yeah, I mean, I feel like if they were just to redraw it, they can't, nobody will complain about anything. Right now, there's just too many variables, and I feel you're kind of setting yourself up for trouble. And for those who aren't familiar with the format out there, you play down to eight players on the winner's side, eight players on the one loss side, and then you play those two brackets out to one player and they face each mm-hmm. other. So That's correct. you could theoretically lose right before the final eight on the one loss side have to play one loss opponents all the way to the finals, which, yeah, you're right. It, it kind of punishes the player on the winner's side. Have have you talked to either Alan or Frank about that and found out exactly what it is they're trying to accomplish? You know what? I haven't really... I'm not the type of person to ever complain. Um, I knew the rules coming into the tournament, so I abided by them. Now, it was funny you say that if you lose before the final eight, you can technically play through the loser's side, which is exactly what happened to me last year and this year. The exact scenario happened unintentionally now i know you know the famous roy's basement uh roy <laughs> was joking with me it's like hey you know you, it looks like you, you found the loophole here you're triple smart and this and that i would have had to play ralph's okay on the winner's side versus playing uh who did i play I had to play a Turkish gentleman who played really well, who ended up beating Tyler Steyer in like first round. So obviously the guy played well, but um, I think uh, uh, whoever it was, I can't think of it right now, but it was definitely a, a on paper a weaker player than uh, Ralph Suquet. So yeah, it looked like a genius when it works out, and but it was not my intention. I, I have faith in myself to beat Ralph, but... <laughs> Yeah, I can see why people would be a little upset about it because it, in essence, it does punish the winner side for staying on the winner side. Um, in my opinion, the loser side should redraw into the winner side. Um, but I can see the fact of not redrawing the winner side matches, but I think you can just redraw the winner side matches again um, into different brackets or if they happen to fall in the same bracket, oh, well, then redraw the loser side into them. Um, in my opinion, that would make more sense. And, and to clarify, we're not in any way saying that the final eight of the one lost side is a cakewalk. No, no, it's not. So, you know, while on paper as somebody on the out, you know, a rail bird, you can look at it and say, oh, well, you know, you just know when to lose and then you got a whole easier. It's not that simple. No, you know, this, I had to play Thorsten Holman and, you know, like, I, I don't know. I mean, he could have been on the winner's side just as easily, you know, um, but whatever. I mean, it's one of those things where uh, it is a unique format. Um, I think 
eventually Alan will change it. And Frank, I, I, I would see them changing it in the very near future. Oh. Um, I, I would suggest it to them that they do change it just to eliminate any controversy. Yeah, Alan, I mean, you know Alan. He's he's his own guy. I, I don't think he backs away from controversy. I don't even think he pays any attention. No, he doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> We're certainly going to get into the reason that you made this post on Facebook, but you had said something prior to the tournament in a post on Facebook that I, I don't remember the exact wording, but it was something along the lines of this was your last major before... The word wasn't retirement, but but what was it? Um, I believe it was the last major before I became a small business owner. Okay, that works. So so you're not yeah. people who are reading into that that Oscar Dominguez is not going out and playing in majors anymore. They're they're confused. They are confused to a certain extent. Um, as far as myself going to let's say the China Open or the all Japan stuff like that. I'm probably not going to be able to do that anymore. At least not for the first year or two. Um, my wife and I are just, uh, are just going to be too busy. Makes sense. And, and for people who again, aren't aware, which I think maybe there's one or two left on the planet. You are the new owner of. Hard times billiards in Sacramento, not to be confused with the Los Angeles one. How did that whole uh, transaction come about? I mean, I don't care about details money-wise, but, you know, what got you the idea of, of running a pool room? Um, well, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but the reason why I started playing pool in the first place um, was because my father bought uh, a pool room in Northridge, California called Billiard Connection. And um, this was in 2007. Yes, 2007. And... Uh, I just started working there during the summer when I was in high school and off on my, on the weekends. Um, and we started having Wednesday night tournaments and, you know, for a $20 entry fee, my dad would add $5 per player, no limits. So on Wednesday night, we'd get 60, 70 players, single elimination and first prize would be paying, you know, four or $500. It was a pretty, sweet tournament for a one day Wednesday night tournament. And, uh, of course the competitor to me said, I want to play. And that's how I started playing pool. Um, how we came across this pool room was, is that I always wanted to have a pool. room. that was always my ultimate goal is to become a business owner. Um, the current owners have been telling me for maybe about six, seven years that they wanted to sell to my father and I, um, and we were never ready. Um, and then, you know, my older brothers got involved. My older brothers were telling me, you know, why don't we do this together? And so actually the pool rooms uh, on paper, it's my wife and I, and my brothers are um, minority uh, shareholders in the business as well. My dad's going to be coming up here to help me, but he's still going to be doing his pool table business on the side. So you mean to tell me that your dad owned and ran a pool room, and when you suggested that you do it, he didn't tell you to run away as fast as you could? No, he didn't. He, uh, he did it for two years, but he had a, a bad partner. Um, so that kind of left a, 
a, you know, bad taste um, in our mouths and the whole family because we all suffered from that that situation. But um, you know what? It's it's different. Over in Los Angeles, we didn't have a beer and wine license. We didn't have food. Here I have 33 tables, 13,000 square feet. I have 18 employees. It's a much larger operation. Um, so, I mean, obviously there's more sacrifice, but I'm hopefully, God willing, that the reward is there a little bit more than what I was doing in the past. You you talk about having wanted to run a pool room for so long. I mean, this isn't mm-hmm. just running a pool room. I mean, this is this is a major pool room. Yeah, this is a big operation. Um, I was really nervous at first. I was kind of, I was thinking to myself, I hope I know what I'm getting myself into here. Uh, so for the past three months, I've been living in Sacramento. Actually, we're in April, so four months now. Um, I've been living in Sacramento and just, you know, shadowing uh, the current owners, the Marcolis family. And we've been essentially doing the day-to-day operations with them. Um, and we seem to be doing just fine. Um, they're, at first, I know they were a little nervous, but they told us that we're doing great and we have their approval and we actually start officially April 15th. Wow, that's coming right up. Yeah, it's coming right up. Um, that's the target date. It could be plus or minus a few days, but that's our April 15th is our target. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's right around the corner, and I'm super excited to hopefully, uh, you know, build up the sport um, on a different level. Uh, Desiree and I have been, like, really focusing a lot of energy on the Mez West State Tour, and now that we have an actual facility to do what we need to do and do what we want to do. It's going to be a lot nicer, I think. Well, and that leads into the question. Uh, what, what are your short-term and long-term goals for the room? Uh, short-term is definitely to improve the level of play in general in Northern California. So what I feel like is, you know, I'm planning on doing free lessons in clinics and doing the increase in the membership. Uh, and more participation there. Um, I just really want to improve the level of play up here. Um, That way we, I guess, what's the word I'm looking for? I guess just, I guess, create more, more people who, who love the game, more addicts, more fans of the game and um, expose them to, you know, great players having nice events here. Uh, long term, I would love to have uh, you know hard times be known as one of the premier rooms in the country. Um, it is now, but I feel like there's still too much competition. I want to be able to separate ourselves from everyone else. Well, there's definitely a, a handful of major rooms in California. There is, um, namely California Billiards in Fremont, California, which is uh, San Jose area. Um, We have Hard Times Bellflower, um, which I honestly would not consider one of the premier rooms anymore because it's kind of 
been let go, I guess, in recent times, which is a shame because um, the potential to be an amazing room is there. Um, and then you have San Diego on cue, great room, Fresno, a very small, it's a smaller room, but it is high quality. Um, so yeah, I mean, I have a lot of ideas. Um, you know, my wife and I, we've been all over the world together now and I've seen so many pool rooms and there's a lot of ideas that I have in my mind that I like from different pool rooms all across the globe. And there's a lot of things that I don't like. So I'm trying to, I guess, use that information and that, that experience to my advantage. Does owning the room change anything with the Mez Tour? Uh, it does. In some way, it does. I'm no longer running the tour in terms of uh, my wife and I are not going to be doing the operations there. It's actually... Uh, Vilmos Foldis and his girlfriend, uh, who run, who runs the tournaments out in Vegas, a good friend of ours, a battle. So they're going to be in charge of running the tournament, but it's still our tour. We are doing the scheduling. I'm doing the sponsorship connections and all that good stuff. All the behind the scenes stuff. Uh, my wife and I are still handling, um, Vilmos and his girlfriend are essentially just running the events. Okay, so they're going to travel the West Coast. They'll come out to California and run events there. Yes, exactly. Um, Just because I don't want to make the commitment, because weekends are essentially our bread and butter for the pool room. And for me, it's more important to to maintain this business than it is the Mesua State Tour. It seems, and, and when I say this, it's from the experience that I have in the Arizona area. It seems like... A room opens or a room gets bought and it's the shiny thing and all the players come out and support it for a period of time. And then Mm -hmm. something else becomes shiny and then there's the struggle. How do you, how do you make sure something like that doesn't happen? Well, the great thing I have going for me is that this poem has been here for 21 years. Um, It's become a staple essentially among Sacramento's youth. I mean, I, there's a lot of younger crowds here. It's, it's a younger person's game around this area. So it's, I think the most important thing for me is always constantly try to do something new. Um, Always try to improve some aspect of the business, whether it's getting new toilet seats or new uh, tabletops or Anything that I can do to just constantly improve the business and keep uh, building it up, um, that's my ultimate goal, really. Um, I'm not very, I'm not a complacent person. I've always been, uh, my wife and I have always been very ambitious, I guess is the word. So, like we said, that, like I mentioned earlier, that we do want to make this the premium room in the United States. And I have a lot of competition. I have a lot of things to improve on, I feel. Um, but little by little, I do plan to try to get there and and maintain it there. It seems like a lot of people in the billiards industry wear multiple hats. You've mm-hmm. been a top-level player playing all around the world. You've ran tournaments. Now 
running a room. I mean, what else is there? <laughs> I'm a dad. Um, <laughs> that, that's that's really my my number one job. Um, and essentially, honestly, Mike, that's why I'm doing this. Um, I was in Jakarta maybe four months ago. I was playing cash games out there. And my daughter took her first step via FaceTime. And it was really honestly at that moment that I knew this, you know, playing pool wasn't for me. I just, I didn't want to see my daughter grow up through FaceTime. Well, and you've got a pretty good uh, role model there in the dad department. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I do. Very blessed. Um, I guess the question has to be asked, and and I don't want this to be taken too much the wrong way, but mm-hmm. you could put a team together right now of you, Dennis Hatch, Mike DeShane, Donnie Mills, and Jeremy Sosi. That'd be a pretty strong team, and all of you have, pardon my language, jobs. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's a a statement on professional pool right now, or do you think it's more of a unique thing where you had an opportunity and you ran with it? Uh, That's a good question. Um, I think what's the word I'm looking for? Um, I think the level of American pools behind um, without insulting full-time pool players. I mean, I, I say this with all due respect to the full-time pool players we need to step our game up. Um, when you have working guys like Dennis Hatch, Jeremy Saucy, and myself beating you, um, you're not doing too good. Um, it, it's just God's honest truth. Um, I uh, <laughs> Now, in my mind, I'm, I'm a pretty strong individual. Like In my mind, when I play somebody, I feel like I should beat them because I know what I'm capable of and I know who I've beaten in the past and what I can do. So I'm not saying that I should never beat a top player, but if I beat you, you're probably not at the elite level if you're doing it for a living. Does that make sense? Um, maybe to a degree. I think maybe you're, and, and you would know this of course, a whole lot better than I would, but I mean, you've still got all that talent. I mean, you've been playing the game for for your entire yeah. life, so yeah. not being able to practice eight hours a day doesn't mean that you're a shortstop now. That's true. Well, the thing is, it's just there's no money to be made, Mike. I mean, I play in some of the biggest cash games in the in the world. I'm in a very blessed situation. Um, you know, I've done very well for myself as a pool player. I've supported my family. I, you know, we live in a nice place and I have a nice car and I have nice things. I have things to show for what I've done in my career so far. Um, but even then, if I were to depend solely on playing pool, I wouldn't make it like I wouldn't live comfortably. So it it just goes to show you how difficult it is 
in the States to do it, to, to, to play pool full time without some type of extra income or sources of income. If, unless you're like giving lessons and maybe gambling high stakes, you playing, playing tournaments, you're going to go busting every single time. Unless you're Shane Van Boning who wins, you know, 70% of the events he plays in. And I, I, I worry when I ask this question that we could go down a rabbit hole and end up talking for hours. But what, what is it from your standpoint that can be done different to elevate the game? As a business owner or as a pool player? Both. Probably as a business owner, um, to elevate the game, I think, is uh, sharing the wealth of knowledge. Um, I'm not trying to stroke my ego, but I do know a lot about the game. I do know a lot about equipment differences. I do know a lot about, uh, you know, different techniques, systems. Uh, you know, for me to go in here, and, like, for example, last week I gave uh, the Sacramento State University kids free clinics and free table time just to work with them. Um, you know, I started teaching them, you know, how to follow through and do different stuff. Um, as a player, probably what you can do is it's diversify everything. I mean, you have to give lessons. You have to, you know, sell billiard products, do things like that, you know, exploit what you know. Um, probably one of the most pivotal moments of my life. I was in uh, college and I had told one of my professors that, um, is there any way I can take an, an exam early or whatever? Cause I was playing a tournament, the U S open, I think it was at the time. So, you know, I showed him the tournament that I play professionally and whatever. Then, you know, the next day comes in class and he comes up to me, he says, do you mind staying after class? And he talked to me and he says, what are you doing in school? I'm like, uh, I don't understand. <laughs> and he says, what the hell are you doing in school? Why are you wasting your time here? He's like, you should be exploiting your, your, I guess, your fan base, your knowledge. Do something you love. He's like, don't go to school. Um, and I was like, I wasn't expecting that from my, from my uh, business administration professor. Um, I think that's probably the best advice I can give to not to not go to school, but to exploit what you know as a pool player. You can make a living playing pool. I did it. I'm not the most intelligent guy in the world. I'm not the most gifted or skilled. But if you pick your spots and you treat people right, you know, good things happen. That's pretty amazing when you think that he gave you the exact opposite advice from what most people in the industry think should be the, the right advice, you know? Right. I mean, I was personally, I would tell everybody, you know, get a degree, stay in school. That's one piece of advice I would always give uh, the younger generations, get that degree, have some type of security in your life. Um, because things change, you know, if you have kids, especially, or you get married, or et cetera, et cetera. There's so many things that can happen in your life. Um, I just think uh, gambling it all and risking it all on, on a pool tournament is probably not the best way to go. 
Uh, before I let you go, back to uh, getting ready to open the room, which, by the way, you said April 15th was the date. Uh, does that, that That's like a week before U.S. Open. You're still going to play U.S. Open, aren't you? Oh, that's a good question. I just uh, sent an email maybe about 20 minutes before you called to Nick of Matchroom, um, regrettably uh, saying I'm not going to play the U.S. Open uh, because... I don't want to leave that burden, you know, with my wife and leave my daughter behind. And it's just too much on her. Um, it's not fair. And, um, I just, I need to have my head right. Um, I'm not, I don't want to go to the U S open with, with me worrying about the business. I just, once I have everything the way I like it, then, probably next year. So this year I'm unfortunately going to have to pass. That couldn't have been an easy decision. The pool player in me, the degenerate in me wants to play <laughs> so bad, but I, you know, I play pool for money. I, it's, it's a job. End of the day, it's a source of income for me. I do it to support my family. End of story. That's what it's become to me. I love this sport. It's been good to me. But at the end of the day, it is a job. And if I can make guaranteed income, um, you know, in that week, I can, you know, easily cash in the pool tournament without sweating a bad <laughs> roll. Um, I'm going to take it. And it would be very foolish of me not to. So I'm going to become a businessman first and a pool player second. Okay, that seems fair. Um, you mentioned that you've got, you know, you've got your family behind you. You've got Desiree behind you. You've also, you know, you've had the same sponsors for quite some time. And, and from what I saw online, it looks like Predator's taking good care of you. I mean, you've got real good relationships along those lines. You know what? I do. I've been very blessed. I switched from Mez to Predator. Uh, it wasn't an easy transition, but with the Revo shaft, I mean, I just fell in love with the Revo. Um, and then Predator and I have been working a lot together. Um, we do plan on working more in the future in terms of pool tournaments, et cetera, et cetera. And they actually sent me the, the first generation pool balls, um, one of five pool rooms in the world that have them and the feedback has been incredible here everybody loves the way they look everyone loves the way they play um i just uh i have a lot of our regulars who play all day um not a single skid um, the balls play very nicely they resist chalk and dirt so um, it seems like uh, Predator's onto something really, really nice here. It seems like they're always onto something nice. They they really kind of push the envelope. Yeah, they, they do a great job, and I'm very proud to represent them. All right, well, I will let you get back to getting ready to run your own pool room, and I'm still, I, I still think you'll be in Vegas. <laughs> no, Mike, I can't. <laughs> Don't tell my wife that. <laughs> All right. If, if you say so, I'll, I'll still be looking for you. All right. Sounds good, Mike. All right. Thanks for your time. We will talk to you soon, no Oscar. All right. right. Thank you. Have a yep. good one. Bye. Okay. That was Oscar. 
glad to see him moving into another part of the game. It sounds like he's not looking at this as a, I can't make a living for my family, so I'm going to do my number two option. It's not that kind of a move. I like that he still looks for what he can do to better the game. And, you know, honestly, no matter what we do, whether it's play professional pool, run a tour, run a pool room, make a, a podcast that some people think sucks, you know, it, it's, it all comes down to what we can do for the game. And it might be a, a Pollyanna way of looking at things, but I still believe that if we all do whatever we can to make the game greater, that the game has a chance to really be great. Again, that's just me. Okay, that's American Billiard Radio for this week, and we will have another episode for you just as soon as I can get one done. Thanks, everybody. And Dave, we're still thinking about you. <laughs>